Since, <laughs> since we last talked just just cut out half of what we talked about in the last one and paste it into here oh I'm i'll just, just i'll just say that shit again <laughs> no <laughs> this is a mini episode which means it's not a real episode so if you hear us talking like we actually know each other don't get mad <laughs> oh yeah i mean the regular episodes act like we know each other, but they're more informative. This this is informative, but also... Because we, uh, we don't actually get to hang out outside of recording the show. That's true. So I feel like the mini episodes are a great way for us to catch up and rekindle our love for each other. And if we could do this like at a Mexican restaurant, then we would. But I don't think that they would like it if we brought all of this shit yeah, with and us. Talking with food in our mouths or like chomping on a chip mid microphone. Drunk as shit on margaritas. That could be a Patreon episode. We're coming up with all of these Patreon ideas. Oh, right, that's what down. it was. That's what I meant to write down. Is that karaoke Jake, one? You have to do the karaoke margarita <laughs> one. Patreon episode, Jake. What's that guy's name? Will Shatner. Yeah. Will. Nookie. <laughs> Drunk. I don't know if that's a good idea, honestly, because I remember there was one episode a long time ago that I was drunk for, or like I got drunk during the episode and I was like, oh my God, as I went to edit it, I was like, I hate myself. And I think I ended up taking it down. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know that I would have noticed. Uh, I noticed when I was listening to it because my voice gets higher pitched the more drunk that I get. And I didn't realize that because I'm drunk. So when I listened to it, I was like, oh, my God, what is that piercing fucking sound? It's terrible. I hate it. It's just your own voice. So maybe we should do a drunk episode. That's why it'll be on Patreon. Drunk Patreon. Yeah. I feel like the people that care will go there and be like, yeah, Patron like Patreon. How's that sound? You want to do that? Lovely. And I love every tequila. Every time that we start a new paragraph, then we all have to take a shot. Absolutely <laughs> not. I will die. <laughs> yeah, Jake's not good at taking shots either. He doesn't really do that. Yeah, you don't really not, do not, liquor. Not anymore. Remember that time you did the, the Lemmy challenge? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. That was crazy. That was, that was his whiskey days. Yeah. He's not oh, like you're that. not on whiskey anymore? He's no, not like that it's anymore. been... Several years. It's I've, been I've, one I've, week. Yeah, no. it's been. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no, no more wild um, turkey in your freezer. <laughs> no, no, no. He brought some. Was it wild turkey that you brought to Dragon Con last yeah, year? Yeah, I I did bring a bottle. I brought a handle of wild turkey. He was trying to to make it like his old days, and I think and he spent the week before prepping your liver by is like that where you, drinking is, liquor again. So that, is that the same week you got lost, or was that another time? Lost what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was okay. another time. Okay, but um, uh, yeah. So I I brought a handle of turkey one hundred and one to. You know how like some people pre-tan before they go to the beach sure, for the yeah. summer? You were like pre-lubing your liver. Yeah, but not... To get used to drinking. Not with wild again. turkey. But yeah. yeah, I got to Dragon Con and it was Thursday night. We were getting ready to go to the Bunny Hutch Thursday, Party. Thursday, Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> going, going to the Bunny Hutch Party, I made two drinks uh-huh. before we left and that was it. Uh, went and got in line for Bunny Hutch. That took like an hour or whatever. Finally got in there. I felt normal. I was like, I'm going to get a beer, instant headache. I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm going to go go back to the hotel room. It was late anyways. Completely fucked the whole next day. 
Like yeah, I, I was surprised I was not throwing up everywhere. Like huh. it was bad, and I was just like, I'm done. So no more. It was like you can't do this. Your liver was like, mm, get some water in there. Yeah. So I, I mean, even before that, I, I put you know the liquor away, and I was like, I'm just not. I'm over that part, and uh, I just like I'll I'll have a little bit while we're traveling, but that's about it. Yeah. You know that's that's what I was trying to do because we were at You're Dragon Con drinking and, and driving. Yeah. <laughs> no. And, uh, uh, no. We're not just, condoning that. Don't do that. Yeah, we were traveling. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll get a bottle, and but it just didn't work out. And I'm like, all right, that's it. Sorry to I'm hear. good. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. <laughs> I don't drink a lot either. I don't drink a lot anymore either. Interesting. It's fucking weird, but it's kind of enjoyable. Yeah, you don't need it, but no. it's fun. I don't know. I got... Like, I haven't really been drinking at all since we got back from Phoenix, mm-hmm. and um, I did get a little bit drunk on Sunday, and it was fucking terrible. The entire, I mean, just having a hangover again after, like, not having one for <laughs> at Forever. least a month yeah. was, uh, it's strange. It's not a welcome feeling. But when it's normal to have, like, a hangover, it doesn't feel that bad, <laughs> you know? But, but once you uh, feel yes. what it's like to not feel like shit, then it's like, wow. Why am I doing this? To uh, that sucked ass. So it's understandable. It means you're getting yeah. older. I know it's fucking weird, but I'll take it. I'm actually, uh, I'm enjoying raw dog in life. So, anyways, <laughs> on to today's episode. <laughs> we are going to be speaking about CBGB. Do you think your mom of her Urban Dictionary like searches some of the yes, terms? Yes, uh, she's does, going to now I, that she said something. I think that she, <laughs> I think that she Urban Dictionary is it, and then tries to use things in conversation with. I me. hope she uses the term raw dogging the next time she talks to you. <laughs> you just have to use it like properly, you know. Why would you raw dog improperly? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you raw dog raw dogging? Um, I don't know. Well. Uh, all right right let's um, get to the point Why yeah i feel like we should change the subject uh yeah we should uh, <laughs> i'm not drunk i swear <laughs> we should change the subject to the title of the show which is death by music podcast sure. i'm jake I'm here with cassie and alex for another mini episode what are you doing i'm trying to speak as little as possible ah. oh, okay <laughs> okay um, okay, well, we t- on this season, well, this is a mini episode again, but um, on this upcoming season for the show, season five, we have the Ramones, and I just started doing the research for that one, and this place is going to be mentioned, uh, CBGB's, which is a club in New York. Yeah, so it's got a long history, and... It was founded by Hilly Crystal, and he wrote a brief history of the club in 1998. So we have that brief history unedited, uh, mm-hmm. but it will be now edited by Cassie as she reads it because she likes to add little things in. Oh, <laughs> I guess reading. I shouldn't. I'll maybe. No, I'll... no, no. Feel free to comment on it. Oh, okay. That's we fine. can usually tell when it's you. Really? That means a lot. But also, it could be an insult. Who knows? No. Okay. It's just, just what it is. So, yeah. Uh, oh, so, think. like we said, this is by Hilly. And this is from CBGB.com. Hilly You've probably seen the people with the t-shirts on. Yeah. So, the question was, what does CBGB stand for? I reply, this is Hilly, by the way. This is not me. 
this is Hilly. Okay. <laughs> um, his reply is, it stands for the kind of music I intended to have, but not the kind of music that what we became famous for. Country, bluegrass, blues. The next question is always, but what does OMFUG stand for? And I say, that's more of what we do. It means other music for uplifting gourmandizers. Is that right? Oh, um, here we go. What is a gourmandizer? It's a voracious eater of, in this case, music. Okay, so it's not like turquoise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't begin to tell you how many times I've been asked those questions. Rightfully so. A lot of people believe that OMFUG stands for something dirty, but the truth is I felt that CBGB sounded dirt, sounded so pat. Yeah, it sounded so pat. What does that mean? Who knows? He's an old guy from New York. He probably talked. It's like a different language up there. Okay, so I'm not. <laughs> Somebody's going to understand what you're saying. Okay. I felt that CBGB sounded so pat that I wanted something to go with it that sounded like a little uncouth or crude. The obvious follow-up question is often, is that your favorite kind of music? No! With multiple exclamation marks. <laughs> I've always liked all kinds, but half the radio stations all over the U.S. were playing country music. Cool jukeboxes were playing blues and bluegrass, as well as folk and country. Also, I have a lot of my artist-writer friends that were always going off to some fiddler's convention, parentheses, bluegrass concert, um, or blues and folk festivals. So I thought it would be a whole lot of fun to have my own club with all this kind of music playing there. Unfortunately, or perhaps... For, for fortunately, <laughs> or perhaps fortunately, things didn't work out quite the way I'd expected. Can you imagine this club being a bluegrass club? Do Absolutely they have not. those? Yeah, but like, I feel like bluegrass needs to be played outside. West. I mean, yeah, sometimes it is. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think it'd be in New York. They do a lot of yeah. like, um, like the Harrison Opera House. More like Regal Theaters will have huh. bluegrass stuff like that, but like a club for bluegrass. Oh yeah, would no, be fun. I don't. That would be fucking cool. Uh, the first year was an exercise in persistence and a trial in patience. My determination to book only musicians who played their own music instead of copying others was indomitable. Originality to me was prime. Technique took second place. Disco gives birth to street rock and later punk. Uh, that was a headline. <laughs> yeah. The height of the disco era brought an increasing dissatisfaction among rock musicians and their fans. The formula-driven disco music and the long, drawn-out solos and other complexities in much of the rock in late 60s and early 70s encouraged a lot of disgruntled rock enthusiasts to seek the refreshing rhythms and sounds of simple, back-to-basics, high-energy rock and roll, which seemed... Oh my God, this is all one sentence! <laughs> which seemed to take shape right here at CBGB. I was trying to breathe when there was a period and I couldn't. <laughs> so we call, or I said, we called this music street rock and later punk. Come as you are and do your own thing, rock and roll. And then there's a cute little picture of the Ramones standing right out front. Look at all their little puppy dog look haircuts. At their hair. Yeah, they do look that like That guy looks like dog. a mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> Since almost every one of the bands was relatively unknown, we did not give them a guarantee, but gave most of the door monies to cover their expenses. CBGB kept the bar. Hopefully they would see the value of building a fan base. The more people came and paid to see them, the more they made. It was not until sometime in 1976 that the club started paying for itself. So it Seems like a reasonable deal. Yeah. If you can bring a crowd, then you get to keep some money. That's how a lot of, like, when, like, when our local music scene was, like, mm -hmm. thriving, all the local bands, if they sold tickets prior yeah. to, they would get... The money from those tickets but everyone's like it's a it's a scam man we have to sell tickets it's like well i think that the, the <laughs> local places was there beef that they were relying on i think it was like when um national 
acts or, or regional acts would come through, they would make the local opener sell all of the tickets. And they're like, we're selling all the tickets for your fucking show just so we can play on it. And then mm, they weren't getting... Maybe. I don't think the local openers were getting to keep that money. Um, I think that the regional acts were. And oh, if you wanted to open for no, them, that's... then you had to... You had to just be peddling tickets to everybody. And everyone was like, God, shut the fuck up. I don't want to come see your band play, you know? Like, I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that it was a little complex. But I don't know. Because you booked shows back then, too. Yeah, so, I had... I mean, and that's what we did. Whatever they made selling those tickets, they got over half mm-hmm. of what it was. I mean, because we'd guarantee the band, to get, like an out-of-state band, to be like 100 bucks, 200 bucks. And so they would t- sell tickets at the door, mm-hmm. and then the the bands that were opening would also sell tickets prior to. They had to sell like maybe ten, yeah, and they would keep like seventy five to eighty percent of that. I think the problem too is that a lot of the venues like they don't promote the bands at all. They don't get any money, and it's just like, ugh. yeah, that's fair. Our local music scene is pretty dead. Not, it's not thriving. It it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I do. I was excited because I had a friend reach back out. This was a couple of years ago. And it was like, hey, we should hang out. Yada, yada, yada. I'm having a show. And I was like, no. <laughs> no! I don't, don't want to go to your show. No. We can't hang out there. <laughs> anyway. Having a rock club on the Bowery under a flop house, believe it or not, <laughs> does have some advantages. One, the rent was reasonable. Two, most of the neighbors dressed worse than or more weird than our rock and rollers. Okay. And three, the surrounding buildings were mostly industrial and the people who who did live close by didn't seem to care about having a little rock and roll sound sleeping or seeping into their lives. The disadvantages were within a two block radius. There were six flop houses holding about 2000 men, mostly derelicts. What's that mean? We're going to Google it. Jake's going to look it up because Jake needs to talk more. Derelicts. That's a a person without a home job or property. Mm. According to the Google. I would say most of them were either alcoholics, drug addicts, physically impaired, or mentally unstable. Some of the men were veterans from the Vietnam War on government disability, and others were just lost in life or down in their luck. The streets were strewn with bodies of alcoholic derelicts, sleeping it off after two or three drinks of of adulterated wine reinforced with sugar. There were lots of muggers hanging around on the Bowery, preying on the old or incapacitated men. When people were let out of the jail or institutions, they were often housed in one of those flop houses by the city, so we had to deal with those crazies trying to come into the club. Sounds like a rough area. Mostly knives were the weapon of choice. By the time things improved around here, I had collected over three dozen knives and other assorted weapons. The muggers or jack rollers were not as dangerous to ordinary people as they seemed. They were used to picking on the old men or others who were completely out of it, like three sheets to the wind. The Bowery was, to repeat, a drab, ugly, unsavory place. But it was good enough for rock and rollers. The people who frequented CBGB didn't seem to mind staggering drunks or stepping over a few bodies. Let's be clear, they were alive. (laughs) They were just sleeping. 1975 was drawing to a close. It It was a remarkable year for CBGB and for me personally. No one was getting rich, but who cared? We were all having a ball. It was exer- or it was certainly exciting discovering new artists, finding bands, spreading the word, trying to get them recording contracts. After being involved with all kinds of music in one way or another for most of my life, I was just beginning to understand to what extent the recording companies were involved with an artist's career and how much they controlled their success. It was the beginning of my life. Nope. It was <laughs> the beginning of my love-hate relationship with the record industry, the powers that be. I certainly didn't love every band that played at CBGB's, but I did love to encourage them to do their own thing. 
to challenge the establishment. I've always felt the stronger you are about yourself and your own ideas, in this case, musical ideals, the more satisfying your success, hopefully the more rewarding your future. The year 1976, over two years had gone by since I had opened CBGB. 1976 was a year of celebration here in the United States because of the anniversary date of July 14th, 1776. July 4th. Oh, no. what did I say? Fourteen. <laughs> I was like, in my head, I was like, what's the 14th? Why do I never get dates right? Oh, my gosh. So uh, July 4th. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. But when we gained independence from England. OK. Um, yeah. 200 years ago, we had our independence as a nation from the establishment man, the UK man. Um, two centuries later, young people were still declaring their independence from the establishment. And some of them were having their say through rock music in the beginning as is most often the case, the establishment, the record industry, and millions of rock fans were completely unaware of this new awakening of the 70s, which has no uniting symbolism like the 60s. It was simply a need for young people to be heard, a need for young people to be... Speak. To be speak? Yeah, that's what he wrote. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. <laughs> You're like, is it me or I was him? like, that's the next line again. A young people to need... <laughs> A need for young people to be speak. A need for them to be recognized as individuals. <laughs> That's why they said unedited at the top. Yeah. <laughs> this man was just spewing. Okay. Um, listen to me. Hear me. This is who I am. This is what I have to say. These were not young people whose ambitions were to be great musicians or to become rock superstars. They were young people who simply wanted a voice. To get this voice, to have your voice heard, you've got to be able some way, somehow to be able to communicate with an audience that might or might not be receptive to what you have to say. One more paragraph. <laughs> Take a shot. Why is Hillary Clinton <laughs> oh on the... I saw it. <laughs> He's I, like I sitting in his that. office and Hillary Clinton's on TV. And it says, kill me on top of the TV. <laughs> is this... <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't estimate what year this photograph was taken. She when looks was pretty... This? She looks pretty young. young. Could be the 90s. Yeah. So in the fall of 76, rock bands were invading CBGBs from all over the country. Boston was one of the more fertile cities for developing new rock bands. <laughs> for many years, Boston has had more college kids than any other city, and they've always had a great rock club scene. The Rath Keller, owned by Jimmy Harold, was one of the premier clubs in Boston that catered to new rock bands. I would book a group of Boston bands into CBGB that Jimmy recommended, and he would do the same with Hot Club in Philadelphia. From Boston, one weekend, we had DMZ, The Inflictors, Hot Rain, The Yarbles, Mickey Clean and the Mez, Real Kids, the Boaz. Boys! The Boys! <laughs> it said Boaz. <laughs> you are a turquoise. Um, bonjour. Bonjour. There's the actual French word. Aviator. Bonjour, aviator. And a special group from Cleveland that Joey Ramone told me about. They were called the Dead Boys. The Dead Boys on stage epitomizes what a punk band should be. They were loud, raw, crass, and super high energy. They were outrageous and obscene with excellent lyrics and music. Somehow they were disciplined musicians. Stiv Baders, Cheetah Chrome, Jimmy Zero, and Johnny Blitz were their names. <laughs> <laughs> Cheetah Chrome? Okay. That's not real. I like it. They were without a bass player at the time, but it was soon to be Jeff Magnum. The lack or a bass player did not handicap them in the least. I wonder why he ended on that specific band. That's it? <laughs> yeah, that is kind of random. 
<laughs> Cheetah Girl. And that's it. Like, that's just where he ends the history of the club. <laughs> well, yeah, so CBGB. One storefront beside CBGB became the CBGB Record Canteen, a record shop and cafe in the late 1980s that was converted into an art gallery and a second performance space. Um, and they played milder sounds like acoustic rock, folk, jazz, or experimental music. Ooh, they did a weekly goth night showcasing goth, industrial, dark rock, and dark wave bands. That sounds fucking cool. Uh, served some New York pizza in their small little cafe. Around 2000, CBGB entered a protracted dispute over allegedly unpaid rent amounts until the landlord... Uh, sued in 2005 and lost the case, but a deal to renew CBGB's lease expiring in 2006 failed. So the club closed upon its final concert, played by Patti Smith on October 15th of 2006. Yeah, it says the former club now occupied by a retail business remains a pilgrimage site for legions of music fans. Today, visitors can see etched into the cement at the entrance to the clothing store, the name of the music venue and the date it was founded, CBGB 73. That sucks that it's somebody else now yeah it's uh john varvatos that's my step you would think that somebody would step in and and try to buy that place out and make it at least like a little museum or something you know yeah i wouldn't want to be the guy that all of the uh the punk kids are showing up on the doorstep of uh, in my business. it's a fashion designer john varvatos later turned the building into a boutique that sells Shearling jackets for $3,000, which pissed off many former slam dancers. Duh. (laughs) Um, Barbados insists he saved the place from becoming a far worse fate, getting turned into a bank. The establishment man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, but you're also selling designer jackets. For $3,000. A piece. It should be a record store. Yeah. That'd be cool. It should be a part of history. Why did that not... Like you're saying, it should have been taken uh, over by something. Like the city or something. Yeah, the city council would have to vote on it. Historic landmark. To, yeah, yeah, they'd have to vote on it to be a historic landmark yeah. so that it wouldn't be torn down or anything like that. Mm, that's unfortunate. Well, I'm sure one day it is going to be. Probably. Uh, observed as such. So, yeah, that's a little club that we're going to be talking about probably a lot in the Ramones episode. I don't think we've done any punk artists. Oh, wait, besides uh, Wendy, Wendy O. Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a she's little a, bit punk. She was heavy metal, yeah. punk era, yeah. She's in that uh, group for sure. Yeah. So I already, I mean, I just started writing their bios, like each of the members, their early childhood information, and it was fucking fascinating. Probably. So I got like one page in and I was like, damn, all right. Well, I'm glad we <laughs> are doing fun. this. So, all right. Well, that is it for today. Jake, do you have anything else to add? No. <laughs> All right. Um, rest in peace. Join our Facebook group. Search for Death by Music Podcast fans. Bye bye. Bye. Later. Death by Music Podcast is written and produced by Victoria Motler, Alex Motler, Cassie Gardner, and Jake.